Hello and welcome to Say Hi to the Future, Ingenious Thinkers, a podcast aimed at highlighting the human side of ingenuity. My name is Ken Tenser, curator of Say Hi to the Future, helping leaders think differently in the face of uncertainty and ambiguity. Better thinking, better outcomes. With me today is Neil Ford, Chief Marketing Officer with Inc. and an award-winning advertising and marketing creative professional. Like this video if you enjoy our show and subscribe to our channel. Leave us a comment with who we should interview next. Thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, Neil, I, I don't usually start interviews like this, but I came across you on the internet. I think you'd actually liked uh, an episode or a comment about an episode and your, your work is delightful. I mean, oh, thank you. truly... You know, when I listen to um, what you say, when I when I hear the stories that you bring to us, and we'll, we'll talk about a few of them, boy, they just, they just make you pause and and really, really think and not stop thinking after um, that YouTube video is ending. So, how do you come by this? What, what where did storytelling come from for you? Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's I, I spent thirty years in advertising and marketing on the creative side. And when, uh, you, you know, in, in that job, your responsibility is to communicate as quickly, as cogently, as emotionally potent a way as you can, the merits of some product or service. And what I discovered is, you know, there's, there's more, you can apply that science to more than just trying to shill a car or a, or a dessert topic <laughs> that there, that in fact, you can improve the commons if you apply all the lessons of storytelling learned through the art of propaganda and just to trying to Im improve our connections to one another. There's a, there's a thing that I think you will probably be sympathetic with that we are inundated, just absolutely carpet bombed with messages telling us how awful we are. Reality television, if they can't get people to fight organically, they'll sleep deprive them until they, or they'll get them liquored up. And there's nothing quite like letting having people go without sleep to get them at their worst. Now, why would they do that? Why, why is that necessary? Well, because it makes good television when people are fighting with one another, when people are showing their worst side. So we get pummeled by these incessant messages about how, you know, it's quite normal when people are this way. No, it's not. You will find, if you examine your life, Ken, I'll bet you, if you kept a record of the number of times during a day when people were courteous to you or did something unnecessarily sweet-natured, you'd be surprised at how quickly you fill the pages of a book. Um, great example is my daughter was in Starbucks. There was a, the, you know how the lines in Starbucks can sometimes get squirrely. You know, uh, somebody's in line, then they notice a coffee cup that they might be interested in. They step out of line briefly, then they step back or they, they suddenly realize that the line has firmed up and they're embarrassed to jump back in. Well, there she was in Starbucks and a guy did exactly that. He sort of tucked out of the line briefly to take a look at a coffee cup, turned around, suddenly realized, oh my God, I'm standing way outside this thing, started to go to the back of the line. My daughter said, oh no, no, no. I know you were here. Go ahead and come back in. And as he came back in, the woman in front of him who noticed what my daughter done said, I love people with good manners. And just that small remark made my daughter's day. 
she felt like, you know what, there's hope for humanity. Um, and it turns out that most people like good-natured, good-mannered people. And all around us, you will see examples. And, and particularly if you do this, because of the stories that I've been telling on social media, you know, there's only so many of them that have happened to me. So now I'm starting to look for more stories. And in the process of looking for nice things that people are doing for each other, little kindnesses and, you know, people picking up trash they didn't have to. And otherwise, what happens is when you start looking for it, oh, yeah, you find it. It's there. It's there in abundance. And so essentially my story, per your question, is just that I spent 30 years in in the business of trying to sell people things. And now I've decided to make it my mission to sell them on the fact that we're all that human beings are actually, for the most part, pretty cool. Well, one, it's a great sentiment, too. I, I think it's really needed now. I mean, we're, the, the pressure we're under is, is incredible. Um, and and I, I think that with that pressure, you know, it sort of begets, I love the notion of kindness because otherwise it begets as hatred or, or the value of the currency of hate escalates. And I think that that's, I think that's what we see happening right now in the world yeah. in so many places, um, just because of the the absolute pressures we're under as, as human beings. And I, I think you're right. I think it are those those little things that can just maybe take away just a a little pinprick at a time, rather than you know taking yeah. on the whole wall. Yeah, there's uh, there's two phenomenon that I, I just shrug my shoulders. The first is the profit in selling division. It's very profitable. <laughs> to to sell conflict. So so it's it's not a very short journey between discovering that you can make a lot of money with conflict and fomenting it. That's a pretty short hop. The second right. thing is uh, you may have noticed this yourself. You'll watch say an investment show and the the host of the show is loudly proclaiming the future. You know, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And being unbelievably wrong multiple times and they don't yank him off the air and you're thinking how does this guy survive he's freaking in you know very commonly wrong dead wrong well because there is a profit in selling something that you know is not going to happen because you can bet on its opposite and these things are very disappointing they're not common, though. It's just that they have big megaphones. Right. So they sell it to us like it's common, but it's not. And you know what happens as a result, Ken, is that they convince you that being a nice guy is to be a sucker. But that's not true either. What I'm finding more and more is how gratifying it is to try to reassure people that they're not alone. And I, you know... Life gets so much better when people like you. So I don't, I don't understand why there is this impulse to be such a polarizing figure among media people. I just don't, well, I should be grateful that I don't get it. You know, the, but when you say that, and then you talk about uh, the story of, of your daughter and, and that small kindness, that small gesture that, that she made the change somebody's day. I mean, I do see that a lot in the next generation. I see um, with my own kids who are mid to late 20s, um, the, how they care about other people, how they have become 
foundation direct in, in their careers yeah. in, in, in some cases. Um, that's not new, by the way, Ked. People don't change. That's that's not new. I'll, t- I'll give you an example of why I say that with such firmness. Because I was watching a video of uh, Victor Frankl, the guy that had written the book called uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Victor right. Frankl had survived the Auschwitz yeah. and uh, and this profound experience led him to complete this book that he'd been working on, Man's Search for Meaning. And when he was doing an, a lecture at Harvard University in 1961, he was talking about how everybody, uh, that uh, Europeans often think that Americans are only interested in money. And they interviewed people, uh, uh, for, in European students at Harvard about what they thought American students were chiefly you know, motivated by their conclusion being money, only to discover that the actual breakdown of statistics was a complete contradiction of that. That in fact, the vast majority of Harvard students in 1961 were in fact very outwardly directed, very service directed. Um, And so that's why I say, you know what, if you really probably do the stats, you're going to find year after year, uh, media notwithstanding that people are actually pretty much interested in being good to each other. I, so so agree to that. Yeah, I think what might have changed, though, is that as much as divisiveness might have a microphone or a megaphone, so too do the youth um, mm. have, now have a, mega, a, a megaphone for good. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's, I guess, what I was alluding to is that they are out there, they're doing things, they are sharing things, and they're building communities for good, which in the 60s and 70s, we didn't have the opportunity to do. There was certainly in the 60s and 70s, I, I grew up in the Bay Area in California, and it was an absolute hotbed, a, a petri dish of new ideas, new thinking. And, um, you know, the Haight-Ashbury was very big in San Francisco and in Berkeley that we had People's Park and and there were, um, you know, Esalen, et cetera, you know, just all of these right. new age things that were emerging. And some of them quite bad, but a lot of them quite good. A lot of them very uh, encouraging. Well, I'll give you an example of what I mean. So I used to uh, deliver papers for the Oakland Tribune in the 70s. And I was a little kid. And um, one day, you know, the every, every sort of third or fourth week of the month, they would have you go out in a van for the Oakland Tribune and you would try to sell subscriptions. And one day I was down in uh, Fruitvale or whatever district of of, uh, Oakland. And there was a full on Black Panther meeting going on in the very building that I, you know, knocked on the door. And instead of being greeted with any kind of hostility or suspicion or anything remotely, you know, resembling that, um, this young guy with the full on beret and the black leather jacket invites me in (laughs) and he announces to the room, my man here wants to see if anybody wants to subscribe to the Tribune. And there are these quizzical <laughs> looks back at him like, you do understand we're in the middle of a meeting here, man. And and so he goes, he goes, you got a better pitch than mine? And I said, well, you know, you can do this. And they very patiently listened to this 11-year-old <laughs> trying to explain the merits of the Oakland Tribune. You know, my little rehearsed speech. Um, And then nobody was They listened. Nobody was a taker. Well, they were just being kind you know to try to let it get let me get it out of my system so you know this guy then takes me back to the front door sort of shrugs and he goes sorry man i tried and i thought okay so then i go home and i announced to my parents at at dinner 
Hey, you know, I was, I crashed a Black Panther meeting today, blah, blah, blah. And I told the whole story. <laughs> My mother is incensed that they would have dropped me off down there, you know, to em- encounter such a group. My father couldn't have been more tickled. He said to my mom, he goes, would you just relax? That kid was safer there than anywhere else on earth. You know, you don't understand. This isn't about, this is about completely different issues than some 11 year old kid. Okay. Take a, take a chill. So um, my personal experience was that oftentimes political movements get portrayed a certain way. And, but when you encounter them in real life, it doesn't match the portrayal. They, you know, people get, I, I'm not going to defend the Black Panthers, nor am I going to endorse them, or, or nor am I going to condemn them. I'm just saying that was my personal experience. And it's, you know, you may have this, have had this experience, Ken, of being close enough to a news story where you knew what actually happened. And then when you read the news account, you're like, what? <laughs> that isn't what I was very close to the Toyota recall of the Camry. Um, and I saw very, you know, up close the data and the so forth that they had it. And this idea of unintended acceleration was a, it was a bogus, it was a bogus claim. Now we all knew it. Um, but Toyota had to behave a certain way during the conduct of that recall in order not to alienate people. Cause they understood, you know, you can't fight these misperceptions. You just have to respond with sincerity, authenticity, and genuineness, and just accept that people are prone to their weaknesses and their faulty beliefs, and they will only be brought uh, into the light if you just by your behavior, not by you going to war over them, over some uh, inaccurate portrayal. As you tell that, I mean, one of the one of the phrases you have up on. Um, that, that you mentioned is it's not what you say that matters. It's what people hear. Yeah, there um, you go. Exactly. How, how, hearing though today, I mean, it's like we have earmuffs on. So <laughs> is, is it what we hear? Is it what we, I mean, selective attention or inattention, however you look at it, we filter out so much today. How do we actually break through um, with those positive messages or with true messages, if you will? Yeah. Yeah, I, they're, um, and again, this is not new among human beings, but people don't, there's a, there's a wonderful, I think it's a Maya Angelou quote or poem. And she says that people won't remember what you say, nor what you did. They will remember how you made them feel. And I believe that the way to break through is by trying to reflect a kind of generosity of spirit, a sincerity and authenticity that has room to accommodate other opinions without demonizing someone. I found, you know, in my youth, boy, I had a hair trigger temper. You know, I was likely to be one of these D-bags on the freeway who gets road rage. You know, not understanding, not understanding that the world is not out to get you. The world doesn't even think of you. So there's no reason to greet the world with hostility when... You just have to, you just have to accept that not everybody's having a great day. You know, even as I have come to believe that 95, 6% of people, 95% of people are actually pretty decent. Everybody's got a bad day. I'll give you an example. Ken, you probably had this experience. Have you ever said something for which you had to apologize later? (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> a lot in my case, yeah. a lot. Have you ever, have you ever made a mean remark about somebody behind their back? Oh yeah, I've done that. And so you can't very well blame the rest of society for ill remarks. When you yourself have been guilty of it, you have to grant right. a certain amount of grace. And what I'm discovering is I'm sort of, sort of beginning to live by kind of really fundamental rules and they're serving me well. And I wish I'd sort of learned them earlier. One is always try to leave something better than you found it. So whether you're a boy scout in a campsite and you, you know, you police the site before you go to make sure you haven't left behind any trash. Even if somebody else has left a mess in the fire pit, you clean it up. The Japanese fans at soccer games, that's what they, remember during world cup in Qatar mm -hmm. and they were all out the Japanese fans after the games would clean up the stands that gesture said more about the Japanese than anything they say. Right. And, and then another thing is I, I, besides just leaving things better than I found them is I try to give people a good reason to like me. And even if they don't, I like to try to try to give them a reason. I'll give you a small example. Okay. So, and everybody can do this. I, I like to, uh, I like to buy these little bags of little plastic toys, little things like dinosaurs and army men and, and um, what do you call them? Troll dolls. And I'll always leave them. If I ever order coffee in a Starbucks or with a barista, I'll leave them for the, I'll say, Hey, I got this for you. <laughs> so you give this little pterodactyl to the barista and they look at you like, what? <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's so silly and stupid that, that it brings a smile. And when I get onto airplanes, I will always have a pocket full of little plastic airplanes. And so I'll get on. And when I get to the flight attendant that greets you at the door, I'll say, hey, here's, you can give this to any kids that get on board. And I always give them more than one because inevitably, if you give them one, then they'll run into two kids and then right. they'll cause a civil war. So I've learned that lesson. So you give them, you know, a handful of these things. The flight attendant is, they're like, oh, fantastic. Oh my God, that's fantastic. Now, when kids get on board, they give them these things. Okay, so here's what happens. They they know that the parents are going to enjoy that. And the flight attendants also know they're going to make the kids happy. So the flight attendant gets the joy of being the one who makes the fun happen. Now, I get the benefit of knowing that the flight attendant's going to benefit. And the parents look kindly upon the flight attendant. Anything you can do to make a flight attendance day better, you have just earned, a, you've put a big deposit in the Karma 401k. I don't know if you've got 401ks up in Canada, but- Pretty close. RSPs, we're all good. Okay. <laughs> but in any case, um, you do that little gesture to spread just a tiny bit of joy and it sort of haunts you for the rest of the day. Tell us about your, your national road trip. Um, I, as a result of the videos that I'd been doing, which is essentially trying to encourage people that, you know, there's a lot of goodness out there and you can find it if you look for it. Um, I got just the nicest notes from people, little emails where they would say, Hey, if you're ever in, you know, if you're ever in Erie, Illinois, or you're ever in, you know, uh, Cedar city, come on, swing by and I'll buy you a cup of coffee or a beer just to talk. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, what a charming idea. And I started taking people up on it and I've, I've had quite a few of these gatherings and there's two phenomenon that are, are unbelievably, you wouldn't think it would go this way, but it does, which is um, when 
people really feel like they know you when you tell stories. And they kind of do, because when you tell a story, a lot of yourself is getting reflected in not just what you're talking about, but how you're telling it. And so I'll get together with these people. I had the, I had a, a lunch with a cat out in, uh, in Minneapolis. We got together and met and said, oh, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And we spent two and a half hours talking about fatherhood. Like we were old pals. Like we were just like, honest to God, Ken, it felt like we'd known each other forever. And this was the first time we'd ever met face to face. We hadn't exchanged more than maybe two emails. And they weren't, they were all there was like, it was like, oh, I'll meet you at such and such restaurant. <laughs> and it was just so encouraging and so uh, reassuring that, you know, you're sort of onto something here that, that people kind of really are pretty good. Well, I decided, you know what, the heck with it. I'm going to, I'm going to try to string together a bunch of them. Like, and since not everybody lives in, you know, in the cities that I do business in, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to get on the road. I'm literally going to jump in the car. I'm going to head East and I'm going to just start hitting these stops, whether it's El Paso or, or Memphis or Nashville. And so I just sent out an email that I'm going to do a kind of a nine city little jaunt, I think starting in either Nashville or Chattanooga, making my way down to Atlanta and then on to Savannah and, and we're going to see how it goes. But um, it really is nothing more than just getting together to see if I can uh, score a free coffee. <laughs> hey, sounds good. I love the idea. And, and it's, it's nice to meet those who are pressing those buttons on, on social media. Yeah. <laughs> Put some humanity to them. So people are um, sort of like weirded out that I'm responding. They're like, what for real? You're going to come out here. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I'm going, I'm going to be in Erie, Illinois on August 9th and 10th. Cause this, uh, this very earnest disc jockey out there just wouldn't let up. So it's going to be very cool. As our time comes to a close today on, on say hi to the future. One last question. And, and I actually purposefully did not research it. Um, <laughs> I'm leaving this on you, Sonia. Can you tell us about Rancho Mad Hammer? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, in order to sort of fund this trip across the country, I started a Patreon page and I needed a sort of premium to offer people as a, like, Hey, you know, if you, if you sign up, I'll, you can get this every month. So I'm writing this book. It's, it's based on my personal experiences and many of the stories that I tell in it are true, but it's also placed pretty fast and loose at the same time. I will make up stuff. So essentially what it is, is um, it's based on a, a, a real thing that the Medici family used to do in Florence, Italy, which mm. is the Medicis wanted their children to be educated by more than just the clergy of the Catholic church. So what they would do is they would invite artisans, artists, architects, astronomers, um, philosophers, playwrights. They would invite them to live in the home and just so that the children would listen to what they talked about at dinner time. So the rule was you, don't, you can do whatever you want to do, and we'll be happy to sponsor your art or your architecture or whatever. We'll be your patrons. But you must allow for a certain per, part of the day to be engaged with the children so that they will learn that the, there's a big world out there filled with new ideas. Well, there was a something of a house here in where I live, Rancho Palos Verdes, where they were doing something quite similar. They had this big sprawling estate. 
with many houses, or sort of, you might call them little casitas attached to the property. And so the house, so this story, Rancho Madhammer, is loosely based on bringing artists and thinkers and architects and, you know, all kinds of rabble into the home so that the children would listen to the conversations. And the book is the conversations that take place at the dinner table. Well, I, I, that, that sounds wonderful. And I, and I think you'll, I'm sure that on your road trip, you're going to be picking up some wonderful new stories to incorporate. Yes, it, it, that's the hope is that, yeah, I'll yeah. pick up some cool stories. Neil Ford, thank you again. That's my pleasure, Ken. Take care. Cheers.